you've arrived at Earth 919. Hello and welcome to another episode of Earth 919, a comic book podcast. I'm your host, Matt. With me, as always, is my brother, Ian. What's up, Matt? Good to be here. How you been? How's everything going in the life of Matt? It has been uh, a dreadfully empty period of my life. I've had a void that has yet to be filled, and it is being filled now. That is not a euphemism. Sounds I've missed creepy. doing this. I've missed doing this podcast with you. Fill my void, Ian. Sounds creepy, but I'm glad to be here filling voids. Apparently, <laughs> um, yeah. And this week we're actually going to be doing another issue of the trade show. This week we're talking about the 1996 book Kingdom Come. Written by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Art by Alex Ross. So, before we get into that, we have just a teeny tiny bit of housekeeping that we need to address here. And that is the show as a whole. You might have noticed recently that uh, episodes have been, shall we say, uh, seg- separated. There's been quite a bit of a gap. Uh, we will be moving to a bi-weekly release for episodes. So every other Monday, you will have a new episode in your feed. Um, additionally, we are not going to be doing the news anymore. Uh, as part of this changing of the show, we're going to be focusing more on books and topics. And what we really ri- originally had hoped to do with this is focus on comic books and bringing more people into the fold. So... More to come on that in the following weeks, but we wanted to get that out of the way before we talk this book. So, Ian, do you have anything to say about that, or can we get into this book? No, I'm ready to get into the book if you're ready to get in the book. Let's do it. All right. 1996, Ian, is the year, and a young man named Alex Ross has just wrapped up work on Marvels for Marvel. And he goes to DC, he has an idea, and it's essentially a an apocalyptic story, an ending to, or I wouldn't say an ending, more like a little, a capper to the DC universe as a whole, for the Trinity, for the Justice League, all the main characters, it's a, it's an end of the world type story uh, set in the, I believe it's 20 years into the future from the present DC universe at the time. Is that accurate, Ian, to your knowledge? I think it is about 20 years. And uh, it went ahead and it shook the world to its core. Uh, it became an instant classic. And uh, we will talk about that. So, Ian, um, do you have anything to say before we start getting into kind of who, who our writers, creators are? I just want to say... This book is an interesting book. It's a really different tone than a lot of other comics that I've read, and uh, I really enjoyed this read a lot. But I'm ready to talk about the creators and how they created it. So let's get into it, Matt. What's up first? Uh, uh, let's talk Mark Wade. Okay. So Mark Wade uh, came into the comic books world as an editor for Fantagraphic Books. Now, if you don't know that, Ian, or if it sounds familiar, uh, that is a Seattle company. Uh, or at least they're based up here now. I've actually been in their office before um, for my work. I ended up having to do some work in their office, which was kind of funny. Um, they're more of a uh, not mainstream comic book publication, but he later went on to become an editor at DC. Uh, he edited books like Doom Patrol, Legion of Superheroes, Wonder Woman, and he also was part of the group that ushered in the Elseworlds title, which is partially where this book takes place. And uh, he left after there. He went and became a freelance writer, uh, was doing a lot of work for Marvel and DC when DC approached him with Alex Ross uh, regarding this book, Kingdom Come. And he has uh, an absolute depth of knowledge that a lot of people don't have for the DC universe um, and the history. Uh, He had an eight-year run on The Flash. Did you know that, Ian? I was actually not aware of that. No. I'm going to have to check out his Flash run. Yeah, he he's I mean he at this in this time like 96 95 around there he's he's writing a lot. I mean, he's a freelancer, so he's jumping all over the place. He's doing a lot of Marvel titles. He did some uh, Apocalypse crossovers. Uh, he went on to do um, 
He did some writing on Impulse, the um, Flash character. I mean, he, he is all over the place. Uh, we also have Alex Ross, who is our artist. Um, now, Alex Ross had started as a storyboard artist, and he got into comics, and he started with a book called Terminator Burning Earth, written by a defunct publisher called Now Comic. And he got into, he eventually landed at Marvel, started working with Kurt Busick pitching ideas. They eventually pitched a book called Marvels. Have you ever read that, Ian? I haven't read it, but I know the concept that it is around, and I have seen the book before, but I'm not familiar with the title. So it's essentially a history of the Marvel Universe through the lens of a photographic journalist from memory. And it's very similar in kind of tone in the kind of ominous, like, I mean, it takes you through all the major Marvel comics events. So you get to see like from this man's perspective, he would go from there to pitch this story that he had created uh, called Kingdom Come. I don't think it was called Kingdom Come at the time, but he essentially had the idea for, he had this idea to flash forward in the DC universe and show essentially what would ha- uh, what had happened to the heroes after the golden era. So Ian, um, what were kind of some of your thoughts going into this book? How did you feel? What, what was the first time you read this? So the first time that I read this book was, I think, two years ago. Um, before I picked up this book, you kind of described it to me as a story where the superheroes age. And I'd never heard of the Elseworlds tale before or the universe or anything like that. So this was kind of a fresh concept for me and allowed me to have a new perspective to this, which I appreciated. Uh, A lot of main continuity comics now, they're hard to jump into. And I knew that this was just a single story that I could ingest and I wouldn't be too bogged down by what had happened previously or what was going on. So immediately I was really drawn to this title. And... It was a really, really good book. I thought it was a fantastic idea, and even go, even before reading it, I felt like the storyline, there was a lot that could happen, and there was a lot of different elements that could have been, you know, kind of adapted. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting read, and it was something that I honestly didn't really expect as I was reading it, as things were unfolding. There was a lot of twists and turns in there, and a lot of nods to a couple different things that I really enjoyed. What about you, Matt? What did you think? Because I know you suggested this to me. How old were you when you read this? Uh, so it came out in 90s. I didn't read it when it came out because I would have been like nine at the time. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. But I th- I believe from memory I came into this book after high school. So like 04, 05, somewhere around there, 06 maybe. Um, and And really not knowing what this book was, but having a familiarity with Alex Ross, because I believe at the time he was doing Justice, but that book actually caused me to go back and start looking at some of Alex Ross's other stuff, because his art is so stark against a lot of um, other comic book art that I just immediately wanted to know more. So went back and found this book, fell in love with it almost immediately. Uh, It's a great story. It's a timeless story for reasons I'll get into as we get further into this conversation, but it really changed my perception of kind of what comic books could be in terms of like you could just the the versatility of stories you could tell so uh that's kind of my take on that so um do you want to get into the book yeah we can start on the book if you're ready to dive right into it yeah so this is set in earth 22 Uh, i think that was established later in time um but it's the story of norm norman mckay who is a preacher. Is he a pastor or a preacher or a reverend? I gathered that he was a pastor based on pastor. Uh, the element that he was, what, what, basically what was going on when he was talking to Wesley, but continue. And he begins having these apocalyptic visions of the future uh, with the background of revelations rattling around in his head. And he goes to visit uh, the Sandman in the hospital. I forget the Sandman's real name. Wesley. But uh, Wesley, okay. Um, that is actually the original character who was Sandman in the DC universe, uh, who's dying and tells him about what he's seeing. And he goes back to his church and he's approached by the Spectre. 
And for those of you don't, who don't know the Spectre, the Spectre is uh, essentially the hand of God kind of personified. He's, he's uh, um, basically God's judgment from my understanding. Is that accurate, Ian? Yeah, that's kind of what I gathered too. He was kind of like a demi-god of, of judgment, basically. I didn't, I didn't gather hand of God, but that's actually a pretty good analogy as you're explaining it. Uh, who And the Spectre now takes Norman McKay, this normal everyday man, and begins telling him how the universe is essentially, or the DC universe is rapidly heading to, coming to a head. Uh, there will be a climactic fight, and the universe as they know it will kind of cease to to exist and now we are following norman as he's running through and seeing where all these godlike characters from the dc universe are now and why they need to come back to be able to stop what they uh essentially what they left on the table when they when superman left the scene um with his sweet ponytail you got anything to say on those yeah yeah um yeah, I really like this issue a lot. Um, a lot of cool stuff is going on in this issue. Yeah, I think Speed Force Flash is my favorite one of all of them. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Yeah, his ability is super cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, Alex Ross paints a pretty good picture in this in this book, and he does a really good job at kind of showing us a utopia apocalypse going forward. But uh, yeah, I, I really like this issue. Yeah, so uh, essentially this boils down to Wonder Woman has to call Superman out of retirement. He's sworn off the world after they essentially chose Magog uh, for reasons that I think are revealed immediately that the Joker kills Lois Lane. They Superman goes to apprehend the Joker along with the rest of the Justice League and Magog kills the Joker because Superman was going to put the Joker on trial rather than killing him even after killing Lois. And so Superman, they chose to basically back Magog, this more extreme character than Superman. And so he said, you know what, go, go live with your choice and took off. So Wonder Woman has to rile him out of his, I was solitude, you know, no pun intended. Uh, when a the atom is blown up in a part of an attack, or as they try to apprehend somebody, I th- oh, Captain Atom, excuse me. He, you know, he's made of nuclear energy. Well, he gets torn, and then completely destroys Kansas. It's just decimated. It is a nuclear wasteland, and she says, "Enough is enough. You need to come out here and help me." And Superman does in an awesome scene. Ian, what do you think about that that intro, Superman intro? Yeah, it's uh, it was. I I think that's exactly how the Superman would enter a battle, very majestically like that, kind of making a a name for himself initially and trying to steal the show. So I thought that was really cool. I thought it was pretty Superman esque, and uh, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you how well Alex Ross and Mark Wade really thought about how they wanted to even to the depth and degree of like how they want Superman to enter a scene and how they want it to it to feel like Superman entering a scene so it was something I really appreciated a lot and the fight scenes uh, in this book in particular really really encapsulate that they they both seem to have a real clear understanding the power set and kind of just the knowledge of what it would take to show Superman in action and I thought that was really cool and he's drawn in a very, I mean, there you get the sense, and th- this is this carries through all four issues. But these characters are like godlike, even though some of them aren't gods. They're some of them are, you know, Batman and stuff. But they're they're just like in in the face of these uh, stylized '90s extreme heroes, you know, who have like tattoos around their nipples and are wearing like essentially bdsm clothes and it's or you know attire and it's just crazy and then you just see superman in this timeless classic costume and he's just barrel chest i mean the guy's huge but it also helps that they all look photorealistic at the same time but they uh they've really done a good job because it's also all of this is intercut with every time you see something 
uh, a big happens, like Superman on the scene, it's immediately intercut with verses from Revelations and things burning. Because remember, we're watching all this from Norman McKay's perspective. We're following him. He he goes and the inspector's showing him, here is Green Lantern. Here is Flash. Here is Superman. Here is, this is why Superman needs return. This is why we need order. This is why. And so you're, you're really getting this front row seat to this wildly larger than life event going on. Uh, so you want to move into kind of the next issue, Ian? Yeah, yeah, we can go into the next issue. You want me to cover some of it, start off? Sure. Alrighty, so to start, Justice League are back in action, and this is one of my favorite parts of this book, is when they're beating up the superheroes, the wannabe superheroes, that's what I call mm-hmm. them throughout the book. Um, like we mentioned already, Alex Ross's photorealistic art is really great, and they seem to do a really good job capturing like how each person does everything. Um, then it kind of goes to Superman confronting the U.N., if I'm not mistaken. Um, one thing I really thought was underrated in this scene and was really fantastic was when Superman's talking to everybody on the podium at the UN, if you go back and look at it, he did a great job like shadowing Superman's face so you couldn't really see his eyes or his mouth. But everyone else in the UN, you can clearly see their face. And I felt like it gave Superman kind of that, kind of like that godlike feeling, you know, like a what I'm looking for, like the Mount Olympus type gods, I don't know, Greek gods, there we go, um, which I thought was really cool, and it was kind of a cool nod to Superman, and I don't know, it's something that I didn't catch through the first time I read it, but the second time I read it through, I kind of gained appreciation for that, just a little scene like that. Um, Superman tries to recruit Batman next, and um, that doesn't go over so well, because Batman is Batman, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Matt, what do you think of Batman pointing out to Superman that he had changed his logo? I didn't notice that the first time through. Did you notice that? Oh, no, I didn't, actually. And, uh, yeah, I think it just kind of speaks to the essentially the fast-forwarding of all of their relationships. You know, Superman and Batman have always been contentious, and and Superman has always been... The Batman has, excuse me, Batman has always been kind of the contrast to Superman's godlikeness, and in and in a way is helps keep Superman grounded uh, by giving him like an everyman kind of voice into his ear, and the same and you know Superman being this essentially this embodiment of all that's good and holy and righteous and whatever they you know what have you. Um, I I think it's interesting to see that they. You know, I think his concern has always been Superman has the power to become totalitarian very easily with, you know, very little resistance because I mean, he can lift up a freaking mountain. I enjoy the dynamic between Batman and Superman a lot. And I felt like this was one of those things where Mark Wade, I, I don't know for sure how much, you know, Alex Ross and, and Mark Wade knew of what particular scenes, but I, I do feel like it would have taken some sort of knowledge to understand how to progress their relationship so many years beyond and to a point where they hadn't spoken in however many years it had been. I just, I really enjoyed that a lot. And the aspect of Batman's life that had changed, which was kind of his anonymity, how it had been robbed from him. And he felt the need to kind of mention that in a loose comment was kind of cool. And it and allowed the mystique of Batman to kind of grow. And it showed him kind of being more flexible in his power set, I guess you would say, which I thought was really cool. Um, after this scene, Batman is revealed to have an allegiance of his own. Now, Matt, I need your help on this because I wasn't sure exactly, even on my second time through, exactly all the people who were within Batman's allegiance other than um, Oliver Quill. Who, who else was there? Oliver Robin Queen. wasn't there. No, it was all the non-powered heroes. I don't have the page in front of me. otherwise. Green Arrow was it. one, right? Green Arrow's Oliver Queen's one. Uh, I believe the Atom might be in there. I can try and look it up while we're talking, but um, it's essentially all the non-powered, like non-superpowered heroes, you know, just more tech-based and and that stuff. Um, That's totally... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, 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 go ahead. That's totally Batman, and that's what I enjoy about Batman. Batman always has Batman backup plans and he's the one person that would have a backup plan to his backup plan to that backup plan 
and put it on the poll, does Batman always have a backup plan? I think that will come back 100%, yes. I really, really just love the dynamic between all the characters that they show in that scene and kind of how Superman walks away and they all kind of come out of the woodwork and they're like, oh, he knew we were there. Superman probably did know they were all there, I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. And um, But that's kind of like to the level of their relationship, Batman and Superman. Bat- uh, Superman could know that all those people are there, but he's like, you know what, whatever, Bruce, I trust you. You know, you're always going to be who you are. And I-, I don't know. I think that's a cool dynamic, and I and I enjoyed that in the book. So um, did you figure out the, the names of them, or I can just keep moving on? No, um, we can probably just move on. But so, I was going to ask you oh, – yeah, sorry, I'm going to ask you real quick before we move on, though. Um, you know, as somebody who doesn't necessarily have a ton of DC archival knowledge um, – how did you feel about um, the weight and how the the weight of the conversations and the way that this information is presented to you? Because I've never been a big DC person, and I'll just be upfront with it. Aside, I mean, I've always enjoyed their Elseworld stories, stories like this. I usually still read Batman, but I'm not. I don't know a lot of these characters, and I feel like even though this is a very simple, short, straightforward story there's a real sense of the history of all these characters and their dynamics together, which really backs up the, the tensions and the camaraderie that, that we see in here uh, from, from the characters, because it just feels like you get this sense from Mark Wade's, Wade's writing that they have been friends forever. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 I didn't need much, background information in order to kind of digest that i honestly i think that's kind of where the dc animated universe does a really good job at highlighting some of those relationships in a way that i understood it because that's kind of my initial knowledge of dc before really reading dc comics and this was one of the first dc comics that i ever read so yeah i I mean i was able to understand it from from pretty early on but yeah, I like I said, I just appreciated how Mark Wade and Alex Ross were able to progress that relationship twenty years beyond, and it still didn't feel inorganic. You know, it felt like exactly how Batman would act towards Superman and how Superman would act towards Batman, and yeah, just something I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, next scene is we see Superman rushes in. There is a battle between two different sets of, I guess you would say, wannabe heroes, and Superman saves a bunch of people. And then he tries to, in an epic fashion, I might add, and he tries to then reform these reckless heroes, which some of them don't seem very willing at that moment to listen to Superman and what he has to say. Uh, Matt, again, I'm going to go to you on this next scene. They, We see the basically a group of supervillains. The ones that I gathered were Lex Luthor, Selina Kyle, the Riddler, uh, someone from the Al Ghul family. They have a basically a plan to turn the superhumans against the humans and so the humans can win is basically their plan um which is weird but um matt what did you think of the scene of the villains and kind of their dynamic in the book i wasn't too impressed personally not not that i felt like it was bad i i just i wish we had kind of gotten more from them in the book but uh matt what did you think about it yeah again it's just another it's a fast forward that just it makes all logical sense, and you. I think we get uh, the Billy Bastion at this point. Is that is that accurate? Um, I I do believe at the end of this scene, it's revealed that he's working with Luther at the very end. He kind of comes in at the end and brings Luther like a drink or something, and he's like, "Hey, what's up? This is my this is my new friend or whatever." Lex Luther would say or do. Yeah, he um I imagine that's how he would talk. Yeah, I don't think so, but that's really <laughs> quaint thought. I could have done yeah, the no. Jesse Eisenberg voice if you had wanted me to. Uh stuttering <laughs> all the way through. Oh, Superman, you think you're so smart. <laughs> all right, yeah, let's I just I, Yeah, let's let's move on. Um so is that the end of the issue? Um uh, basically, let's see here. Um they got the superhumans, they have uh, uh, we have the scene where Superman uh, flies into the bar, and he basically laser visions all the 
alcoholic drinks out of the bar and tries to strike fear into the uh, the wannabe superheroes, which I thought that was a pretty cool dynamic of superhero, uh, not superhero, Superman. I thought that was an awesome scene by him, and it made him really badass. And even some of the heroes after that were kind of like, whoa, maybe we should listen to him, which I thought was completely ridiculous. Like, if you're a hero, why would, <laughs> why would that impress you? But, I mean, I guess that's why they're wannabe uh, superheroes. And then we see Superman try to recruit Aquaman, and mm. Aquaman wants uh, no part of that shit, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, we also get uh, we uh, fast forward of Orion. That's right, and we do. he that is probably one of the. It's funny because you you know, I guess the assumption isn't, but we like to think that you know into the future things get better, and it's just interesting to see they how they've managed to make a lot of these futures that they're writing for these characters um cyclical to their current trajectory in life so orion now is the leader of apocalypse and he now looks a heck of a lot like his dad uh dark side dark side and it's just interesting to see that it's a familiar it's a little bit sad because you it's like oh man i kind of hope something better for you but Superman is also trying to create a prison, or not necessarily a prison. Essentially, he's trying to create a re-education camp. So Superman comes back to bring order, and then very com- very easily slips into uh, totalitarian leader. And it uh, things go sideways fast from there. Yeah. Uh, the end of the issue, we find Superman who I believe he, I think at this point he encounters Magok, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of this issue. No, and not, um, we get that, this, this issue ends with, I just looked at it. <laughs> um, this issue ends with the villains meeting with Bruce. Bruce oh, Wayne right, and uh, right, the, right. Man, the human characters. Right, right. Uh, Lex Luthor and, and Batman's group go in, go in, go all in together. They so do. Issue, issue three, Matt, you want to cover issue three? Yeah. So issue three starts out with the now fully functional, fully automated uh, prison camp, essentially for all the character or the, the superpower characters who don't want to essentially fall in line with Superman. He puts them in a replica of the Legion of Doom's, hideout from the be familiar if you've seen the super friends comic book or a tv show and he locks him in this prison and has a video recording of himself essentially espousing his beliefs and telling people that they are being punished for this or that or the other thing and they need to fall in line if they ever want to get out uh so superman has gone from i need to help to fully endorsing and supporting and creating a prison camp uh, that is obviously a powder keg uh, that the villains see and seek to exploit. So Ian, um, what do you think about Superman's turn here? He's kind of, it's, you know, he's not necessarily evil. He's not malevolent in his, in his uh, pursuit. It's just, I think he's maybe a little bit of an overreaction. Yeah, Superman, I, I think this is, I don't know, I, I, I always want to believe that Superman's like a righteous person and that those type of morals are incapable, like he's incapable of that. But, I mean, it's really easy to see somebody with that much power go crazy with power, you know? And I think that he's always torn with the idea that Superman could basically snap, you know, like in the blink of an eye, fix every, all the problems of everybody, but it wouldn't be to everybody's satisfaction morally it wouldn't be right for him to do that and i think that's always kind of like the battle that he has within himself like i have to let people figure it out but i want to help people and they don't know how to help themselves and so i understand where superman's coming from but at the same time he has a tough choice on his hands and i think that mark wade does a really good job highlighting that in this issue and kind of the indecision that he has within himself. Plus, he's trying to manage his own team of people that are his support group that, you know, he's trying to get on board with him. And yeah, I, th- I think it's a good dynamic that he has. Um, but, yeah, this issue, there's a lot There's a lot going on in this issue, man. It, it, it revs up pretty quick in this one. 
yeah, we've got the now we get a little bit more information on who there's a there's hinting of who Billy Bastion is. We get to see how Luther is controlling him with the the worms in his ear. I forget what the worms are from though. Yeah, that that was a weird dynamic of this book. I I didn't quite it was but, like a weird worm thing. But I don't what know do you if there's think anything oh, in the lore that has to do Oh, with it's that. something from it's something from Dr. Savanya. Okay. Um, what do you think about the fact that Billy Bastion grows up to look exactly like Captain Marvel or now Shazam as they call him? I I, I mean, as to be expected, right? I mean, wouldn't that be what you would think would happen? You don't think he would look grow up to look like that? I don't know. I had always assumed for me I had always assumed that he I didn't realize that Captain Marvel was the adult version of Billy Bastion. But I like that twist. I like that he's now he doesn't when he I mean the whole the whole kind of premise of Captain Marvel is the fact that you know he's a little boy, he shout he says the word and he becomes this like hulking Superman rival. And it's just funny that now he doesn't even have to like he doesn't even transform. He just he just gets his cl- his clothes shot on him, lightning struck on him. He just kind of like gets his power suit. Yeah, I mean, he just gets dressed. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. It's kind of cool. I, I wish I could just say my name and my clothes would come on me for the day. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> They're all dirty from the day before. Uh, we also get to see Batman's drone army as there he's working with Luther in regards to. They're talking about some way to rein in Superman's now what Batman's referring to as a gulag, which I don't think is too far from the truth. But we've also get to see a little bit of John John's season there. And essentially the villain's plan is coming together to attack, I believe, is the plan of the uh, the Legion of Doom's base. So I have a question for you, Matt. This was something I didn't pick up in the first read-through of this book, but I picked it up in the second read-through of this book. We might not quite be at this point. I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but John is the one that warns Batman that Billy is, that the person working with Luther is Billy, correct? I believe so, yes. Okay, okay. so uh, when I first read this, the first time through, I remember being kind of disappointed because I like John and I wanted to see him be more featured in the book. And I was a little disappointed that they didn't, but after second read through of this book, I felt like he was represented better. And then I got to thinking about it and I realized Batman is this super smart detective. He builds all these things. How the hell does he not realize that that's Shazam? I mean, you'd think that he would just see it and recognize it, you know? I don't know. I thought that was kind of stupid on my part for, yeah, I don't know. But I I really wanted to see John be more in on this book, and we never really get an explanation as to why he's kind of out on the story. Am I mistaken on that? Like, we don't ever, it's not really ever explained, right? It's, he's kind of a shell of the man he used to be, so that's kind of why. He's just just basically like a passive, right? He's just being passive. Yeah, he's he's been kind of undercover for a while, so there's that. That's what I figured. Um, I did want to call out one part here that I really enjoyed in this book, and that's the fact that uh, the Spectre is talking. He's in a, in a box narration. He's saying, you know, something to the effect of, uh, "I've been a spirit for so long. I never thought about this, but I I forgot that the Flash, essentially, the Flash exists in multiple planes of reality, and so." the flash is able to see Norman McKay who's been witnessing everything going on and pulls him out of the reality that he was in with the specter, which was invisible to all the other characters and brings him into the justice league tower in front of everybody. And now this character who we've been following, who's essentially our narrator, he's our window into this world is now talking face to face with Superman uh, who is, drawn so i mean his just the amount of age and it's it's funny the the wisdom and age and strength that are all in just these few panels of viewing of of superman's face 
compared to Norman McKay, who's an elderly man. He's obviously a little frail. It's just such a contrast. It almost makes you feel intimidated just reading the panel that of him surrounded by these godlike characters. I think for me, this was a, a big turning point in the book. This was I where I really appreciated what I was reading. And it gave me my first twist in the book, I guess you could say. I loved at this point where they bring Norman through the dimension. And I think it really helps highlight how powerful Flash is. Because I don't really think about it. You don't, you know, but he if you're traveling dimensions, I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing at your fingertips there. And, you know, for him to pull, pull Norman through a dimension, I thought was a kind of a cool nod in the story. And it, it, gave, it, it gave it a nice little twist, but... Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the interaction between Superman and Norman. And I think that, I mean, what's Norman going to say, you know, like, wouldn't you shit yourself if you were in front of Superman, Matt, put that on the pole. If you had to have a moral argument with Superman, (laughs) who wins an argument, Superman or, or Captain America. Yeah. Um, and this yeah, so this is kind of where they... It's right after that where they kind of figure out that Captain Marvel is... Or Billy Bastion is who they've been dealing with, who's been essentially Lex Luthor's bagman, <laughs> And Bruce Wayne reveals that he's only been working with Luthor to understand what was going on with Marvel. He realizes he's been under control. And it's revealed that Lex Luthor had Marvel kind of as a wild card. He was going to release him to incite more... Uh, to fight Superman essentially and and cause and escalate this war, and Batman's trying to prevent him from activating his power essentially, and then things get ramped up to about ten thousand when he shouts the word Shazam. And again, Batman. keep in mind, this- Batman and him fight in a collapsed hallway, and then Shazam is hit by a rock that falls on his head. Yeah, I kind down. of. Re- I guess it. His like, he's almost like a repressed personality or something. Like it's multiple personality kind of thing. And he, I think the Rock or some somehow jogs his memory and he remembers that he's Shazam. And now he goes off to fight and free people at the Gulag. And he runs into Superman. Well, Superman goes to quell. That's it. Okay, so Superman goes to quell the riot, which has been going on for a while now at the Gulag. And as Superman's on his way to quell it, Marvel intercepts him in probably one of the most iconic uh, comic panel frames, I would say, within the past two decades. Would you agree with that, Ian? I love that scene with Marvel. Kind of, You're talking about the one where Marvel's standing over Superman? Standing over him, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. I want to point and, out. To, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matt. No, no, no. I was gonna say, and 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 the caption again. This can Mark Wade's contribution as the writer to this book cannot be understated because the war, the two captions that are accompanying this panel is by a single bolt of lightning, Armageddon has arrived, and it's yeah. just this very Fantastic. self-assured Captain Marvel in just what is a totally not overdone, very simple. Sim- simple costume in contrast to all of the you know the younger characters i don't know if you notice that Ianis. all the all the classic characters you know batman wonder woman green lantern well except for green lantern he's a little bit fancy but um the main like justice league characters they all have like very very simple costumes and they're very classic and then all the and it i'm sure it's to prove to, to provide contrast to all the extreme characters with all their I mean, this is really a commentary on the comics of the time. You mean uh, in 1996 or currently today? No, I I think it's in the time because this is like the extreme time. This is like not necessarily that year. I think it was maybe I think it was two years before then when we had Batman Nightfall. And then you have uh, what's his face? The 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 Order of St. Dumas. What's his? I don't know why his name is uh, Azrael. Azrael, yes, and the Pouch right. Batman, and that this, and I think a year prior to that was the death of Superman, and you had the the young punk clone Superman, you had the cyborg Superman, and all these like different things, and I think this was just 
I think we even had uh, Ben Riley Spider-Man right around the same time too. And this so. is just, so this is, I mean, even now for us now, it's like, wow, these are really classic costumes. But for then that was probably even more jarring was like these really classic, you know, back to basics costumes. But yeah, that, man, this panel is so great. I want to point out that uh, we haven't really talked much about Wonder Woman in this book and in the story and the dynamic between her. And I feel like at this point in the story is where they kind of start to highlight it. And she kind of becomes more of a, I don't want to say a problem in the story, but she starts to kind of rile up the situation more than it needs to be. And I think that's an underrated dynamic between Superman and Wonder Woman. Because I think Wonder Woman at times in the dynamic between her and Superman, like she's there to push Superman in ways that he doesn't want to be pushed or he needs to be pushed. But I think there's times where Superman is also there, like in the dynamic of the three of them, uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. I think his dynamic to her sometimes is to calm her down and to like help her be able to be like, you know, we don't need to be murdering people and going crazy like a, like a maniac. And I think that's something that Mark Wade does a really good job. And Alex Ross both do a great job highlighting in this book. And really showing the dynamic between those two characters, because that's probably my favorite interaction of any char- two characters in this book is between Wonder Woman and Superman. And how, I mean, because think about it, without her kind of going to Superman, being like, we need your help, that, like, you know, who knows what would have happened. This this whole situation could have gotten a lot worse. So, um, yeah, I, I always admire Wonder Woman, because, you know, she always, her heart's always in the right spot, but then she always, not always, but she tends to take things very far, and... Um, so I, I really enjoy her dynamic at the end of this book. I think it's really important. And uh, well, is the end of this book is is uh, the alliance, right? They all it's all together now. Superman and Batman come together. Am I not mistaken with that, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I, I just want to jump back real quick to what you're saying about Wonder Woman. I I I do think that that is a really compelling angle that they added in there because she's a warrior, and she is a warrior. She looks at things from. A, I, I, I want to say a more practical um, standpoint. You know, she sees this problem. Superman thinks, oh, I got to deal with this and I got to quell this. And and she's just like, well, just put put down the riot. Like, it's very, very matter of fact. And I don't, I don't think it's it's not malevolent in her attitude towards it. She just, that's how you deal with a problem. And that's her warrior perspective. And that is a good contrast to Superman, who's, I think you're starting to see came in having having left been being tired of dealing with people essentially coming back in and in a lot of ways overcorrecting by becoming a totalitarian and now kind of starting to realize mm, I might have went a little too far uh it's it's she adds of it her and batman provide a very interesting devil angel on the shoulder dynamic to super for superman and it's interesting to note too, as we kind of get away from Norman McKay, I don't think that he's he kind of disappeared right around. He kind of he just phases back into the dimension with the Spectre at that point, right after he That's initially right. encounters That's Superman. Right. He just kind of phases back away. It's weird. And at this time too, we also have the UN is now seeing this uh, cataclysmic fight going on at the Gulag. And they're like, we got to drop a nuke on these guys. Let's kill all of these guys now. Let's just solve our problem now. We don't have to deal with them later. Just drop a nuke. And that's really the crisis that Norman's been seeing is he knows the nuke is going to get dropped. And he's trying to get Superman to become aware of this looming threat that is come, that is heading at them very quickly. And we get to see uh, Batman joins the battle with the humans. And now he's kind of aligned with Superman as they go to fight these the extreme characters and this really fantastic splash page of Batman in his mechanized armor bat costume, which looks pretty great for a geriatric Batman. Don't you think, Ian? Oh, it was it's that was probably my second favorite panel in the entire book was the Batman kind of in action flying in. It's like that's what Batman would be. That's exactly how he would be. They do a great yeah. job in this book. Um, are we ready to move on to the final issue, Matt? Uh, yeah, let's just see where this one ends up, because I think this one ends with 
and, and I got to say real quick, sorry, I know you wanted to move on to the last one, but this is really what, this is like a 20,000 times better Marvel Civil War. There's actual reason and weight behind the dividing lines of these characters, why they're fighting actually makes, I mean, much more logical sense in ter- you know, from a story perspective. Um, and there's actually just, there's real weight to it. It's not like, we want you to sign a paper. I'm not going to sign a paper. I'm going to fight you. And I don't care how many people die. This is like so much better. I mean, I really, I really do enjoy the first civil war, but this just makes me realize it was already done like 10 years earlier and done better. Never read civil war, but I should probably go back through and be able to kind of compare and contrast the two. Cause I would be interested to see, uh, and this is my first initial, you know, introduction into a story like this. So maybe I will not enjoy civil war as much as I initially thought that I would. Uh, it's fine. In it's own right. Um, Oh, I do want to talk one last thing to the, the panel of wonder woman and Batman. They're in the sky. They kind of take off as they're fighting and they're, they're arguing. And then Batman just sees in the distance, he sees the drones with the nukes and he immediately knows what's going on. And he's, they like both stop and kind of just stare in awe. And they're like, we, we got to do something about this. Uh, and then we do see Shazam just blowing Superman to bits, dropping the, the thunder bomb on him. And then we get the nuke that goes off. And now we are into the last issue. Okay, well, um, as Ian mentioned to me, I, I actually went ahead into the fourth issue. Had not Stop going ahead, it. Matt. Sorry, just excited. This uh, this thing really starts uh, jamming here towards the end. So um, what do you think about what's going on, Ian? What where, where are you sitting here? Are you in awe? Are you wetting your pants at the edge of your seat? <laughs> I'm going to bring this back to the beginning of the fourth issue. How about that? Let's start with a poll question because I want to bring this home. Put this on the poll. Whenever... Superman and Captain Marvel or Shazam clash. Is it always an epic fight? Uh, I think it is. And I think that this is where, like, a lot of the story, I feel like Alex Ross's writing has really helped, like, the dialogue between the characters help progress the story along. And Alex Ross's art is fantastic, don't get me wrong. But at the scene where they're all fighting each other and shit is just going down... And you mentioned the scene where Batman and Wonder Woman are interacting with each other. I just, I love that, man. I, I, I think that that is really what Alex Ross's art takes it to the next level. And I can only imagine how long it takes for him to paint or, you know, create this art style that he does like this. And for it to be this detailed with this much action involved, I just, I was in awe of it the whole time I was reading the book. Just, wow, like I, I didn't think comic books could be like this. Uh, I've actually showed Kingdom Come to a couple different people, and th- their reaction was similar to mine. I, you know, realizing like I thought comic books were just, you know, just n- normal standard drawn. Like they didn't think it could look this great, and uh, I think it's a testament to how great this particular last issue is. It just phenomenal, man, absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I wanted to ask you, at the end of the day, in this book, what I kind of gathered. And correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, and I'm going to let you speak on this point here in a second. Is Wonder Woman the villain at the end of this book? No, no, I th- I think that they all... They, like, Or is it just kind of like they're all very stubborn and then they just... Because I, I was at the end of it, I'm like, they all are very stubborn heroes, you know? like, And that's kind of what it seems like it was. So correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I, I felt like at the end, Wonder Woman was kind of escalating the situation... And they were kind of trying to calm Wonder Woman down. So, I don't know. That's just what I gathered from the book. Yeah, I think that's more of a story about how they've all disconnected over the years. And maybe that's kind of a more overtone of, or maybe a commentary on DC Heroes as a whole. But it was it's this general lack of connection to the human world. And I think that that's why it worked so well having a character like Norman McKay, who was able to say like look you've you've lost your you've lost sight of this you don't you, you can't rule over people like this you can't just impose your will no matter who you are whether you're superman or these crazy 90s caricatures so i i no i don't think wonder woman's the villain but i think that they all their own 
I don't want to say ego, but I, I think their own, the, the status that they were held up to over, you know, however many years that these characters had lived through up to this point um, was the enemy. Pride was the enemy at the end of the day. Yeah, that's. I think that's actually a pretty good explanation of how the story goes. Because I, I gathered Wonder Woman at the end was kind of instigating it. But as you're kind of explaining it to me, and as we're talking it aloud, I'm kind of like, yeah, because because I mean, in the end of the day, Superman didn't want to intervene, and if he had just intervened, none of this probably would have been going on. So, yeah, I get that. Um, I do, and I mean, I guess in the end of the day, that's kind of the point of what we're looking for in the story. Uh, you mentioned Superman and Shazam, and they're kind of clash of titans i guess you would say and how it ends matt how'd you think about the way that they kind of clash and the the ending of their battle i think that uh it's a good example of some real actual consequences that happen i mean the nuclear bomb goes off and there's mass devastation i mean everybody in the battlefield except for superman dies even shazam you know who's supposed to be the mightiest mortal. He's supposed to rival Superman in strength, speed, and endurance, and all this stuff. And there's there's just a few that I think um, survive from the Green Lantern protecting them. But there, you know, you see this haunting, haunting. I mean, another f- incredible panel of Superman just screaming out in agony in oh, the boneyard of everybody so that was there. And, I mean, you can see Blue Beetle. I'm looking at it right now. I can see Blue Beetle's skeleton, and it looks like um, whoever that giant guy is. That's really the only one I recognize. It's kind of hard for me. I don't know DC characters super well. But it's it's very haunting. And then even followed up by an even greater next three panels. You know, Superman kind of stumbling up, and then he just looks up with the red eyes. And you know that he's going off to, do, to wreak some havoc. It's, and it's a wonderful conclusion because there's just there's real consequences there but things have actually changed in the story too i mean it feels like in comics so often it's like here's a temporary solution now everybody's happy again but don't worry in three months we're gonna have a new reason all fight and this is like no there's a resolution there's change things have progressed in this story and uh it ends i mean did you have anything else or i was just gonna kind of go into the last few pages I think I think your last point is is you know nail on the head and that's exactly why I enjoyed this book and I think anybody if you're listening to this right now and you're curious about picking up Kingdom Come I think you definitely should it's definitely worth the read because it's not a book that just is at the end leaves a stale taste in your mouth like Matt just mentioned there's a actual resolution to the book and I think that's a real testament to the Elseworlds and how those stories kind of to me I I really enjoy that those i get what would you call that like comics line i guess you would say mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i i to me it really helped connect the book to me in a more serious way and i read it two years ago and i still think that this is like top five for me dc stories that i've ever read it's it's that good and i think that's partially why is there it like it didn't just go back to a reboot you know like that story I, and granted i We'll say that I haven't read too much of the continuation of the story, but uh, that story is basically like a one-shot thing, and I, I think that's a real testament to it. But we can go into the the final scene, which I think is a cool nod to the DC universe. So, Matt, you wanna you wanna lead us through it? Yeah, I th- and this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's just that it's the cyclical nature of it. So now you you start out; these heroes are isolated. You know, they're all feel very godlike and imposing. And now we have a year, flash forward to a year later, and you've got Superman, who now has assumed the identity of Clark Kent again, and Wonder Woman, who is uh, presumably his new lover, uh, baby mama, and they're in this, uh, like a TGI Fridays for superheroes, but it's in the world. So it'd be like... um, I'm I'm trying to think of a good like comparison like uh Planet Hollywood that's what it would be like it would be like a Planet Hollywood restaurant um except you are the main feature like it would be a Planet Hollywood about you and uh Superman and Wonder Woman are having lunch with Bruce Wayne and uh Bruce immediately knows that Wonder Woman's pregnant immediately is worried about what 
<laughs> what it means for all of them now that there's going to be a Wonder Woman Superman hybrid child or hybrid's a bad word but um you know the mix of the two most powerful people on in that world um what do you think about that Ian what do you think about all the the little I thought it was great man I I thought it was so good I thought that the way that their dialogue goes between the three characters was perfect um them asking Batman to, you know, be involved with their family was fantastic, and I thought that was a great nod to to the story. And it, in a way, it, it it helps, like, present a realism on Superman because he's like so perfect and he's got all these things. But it's like even he knows that he isn't perfect, you know. And I think that's an example of him, you know, by asking for Batman's help. That's kind of what that is. Uh, I enjoyed very much too how the you see Norman and the Spectre at the bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought yeah. that was a great nod in the story and kind of like a good resolution to the end of their story, which I thought was just fantastic. And, I mean, there was a lot of really good panels in this story, but I do feel like one of the best ones, too, was when they're all kind of walking out. You kind of have a shot of all of them kind of walking out of the Planet Hollywood-esque restaurant. I, I just think it was great. It's such a good ending to the to the story, man. It was a what happy you... ending, too, in the end. Yeah, and w- what do you think about the fact that they're – they're essentially setting up that Superman and Wonder Woman will have a baby. So it'll be part demigod, part alien that will be trained by Batman. It's a scary thought, but I think <laughs> Batman's the one person that has like, well, I, I, I say that, but then again, it's like Batman doesn't really have the greatest history of raising kids. And he even says that he's like, my record isn't, uh, my, I don't have a clear record or whatever. Yeah. But uh, think about that, that, you know, they go to, they go to him because they essentially want, their child who will be essentially a God in that universe um, to be grounded just like Superman was, you know, by being raised by a human. I think that's really cool. And it's just speaks to, it's just a great, I, I, I love that. I mean, this story kind of gets to have its cake and eat it too, because it has that dramatic tension. It has the loss. There's a lot of weight to the deaths, especially the nuclear blast. And then it gets to wrap up with a nice bow on the end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, Happy ending's the way to go in the story, for sure. So, Ian, I was going to ask you, what, why do you think that this story has endured for as long as it has? I think this story is as strong as it is and has lasted... I mean, even I'll speak for myself first and then maybe in the grand scheme of comics. I think, for myself, it's it's nice because it was a simple story that was really quick to read, and I didn't it wasn't bogged down by anything right it was just kind of a cool book for me to read that's why i enjoyed it and it it sticks out to me because because of that a lot of comics that i'm reading right now are long series or things that i'm waiting to come out month to month and you know kingdom come wasn't that so it was something i could appreciate and like we said at the end the universe had like a close to it which was cool now in terms of like the grand scheme of dc comics I think that this book stands out to a lot of people because of Alex Ross's art in particular. I think that a lot of people really, really, really love that style. And I think that that seems to be in a way, one of the springboards for him that really like helped him, you know, not, I'm not saying that kingdom come made him or anything, but I just, I really think that that was really where he got to take his his art to the next level. And Mark Wade as well. His writing style really, really, really in this book. I mean, it, this book was just perfection, like lightning in a bottle, you know. And it was only four issues, which I think was crazy. Um, so to me, I think that's why it, it it's lasted so long. And I think that the story has been so strong that it's even had impact on certain things beyond the Elseworlds universe that have bled into the continuity. And I think that in in and of itself proves how much people enjoy and respect the book. Why do you think so, Matt? Why do you think that it's so impactful? It's a short, simple story. Very yeah. straightforward. In it's It doesn't really do a lot of messing around. It gets straight to the point. I think that the human perspective carries you through this book to give you uh, the, the relatability to what's going on. And I think it's the art. It's really, I think that's really what makes this book timeless is the fact that it's not really stylized in any particular era so i i can pick this book up 10 years after it came out and at the time thought it came out like recently didn't realize it had come out almost a decade before 
And I think something like that definitely lends creeds because you could pick up a book today and it's filled with pop culture references to the time and it's, you know, the clothes are, are styled the way that people wear clothes now. And, and that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's, but in this book, you don't really get a sense of an era, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I guess, um, you know, I always assumed it was like the 80s. Is what is what the story took place in, but but that's a good point. You never really, they never concretely say, this is the '80s or this is the. It could be the '50s or the '60s. You know, I, that is a good point. Good observation, Matt. Well, you know, I'm Gold full star. of them, Ian. I'm Gold full star. of them. <laughs> uh, so, I so this was followed uh, by Mark Wade and Alex Ross trying to make a sequel. It was and indeed. ultimately, Alex Ross left over disagreements. There was some arguments on, you know, whether Superman and Wonder Woman would have made a huge, big old fuss about having the kid or whether they would have kept the baby secret and give it its own, you know, private life. Um, there were some other issues, but ultimately, Alex Ross left. Mark Wade went on to create The Kingdom, which is supposed to be a prequel sequel but it ended up not really being either of those. So I don't know if you know this, Ian. Originally, this Kingdom Come was supposed to be the future of the DC universe. And when Alex Ross created, or Alex Ross, uh, Mark Wade created the Kingdom, they essentially changed that. They this that's where it was established. This took place on Earth twenty two, and then there was retconned with some, with the creation of hypertime. And I'm not sure how aware or how knowledgeable you are of what hypertime is, Ian. Let's I just diddle. move on. Let's just move well, on. It, it, well, essentially, it's <laughs> all the alternate different timelines and different choices and different people from different futures can overlap. And that explains the continuity differences that sometimes crop up in DC Universe. So Sounds like comics. Sounds it, like comics. It did not do well. Uh, the book was not very well received, unfortunately. Uh, obviously Alex Ross didn't return, but it featured the death of, uh, a Superman by Gog, who was supposed to be like kind of the spiritual successor to Magog. And it, it's kind of confusing and it, it's set 20 years after this one. So, uh, nothing ever became of it from there, but every so often you see some, the characters from this universe crop up in DC proper. Um, obviously that Superman with the iconic, the, the S shield with the black background, which is, I still think is one of my favorite Superman looks. It is pretty great. I'm not going to lie. I didn't notice it the first time. Glad I noticed it the second time. It's a badass look. Yeah. So, uh, any parting thoughts, Ian, before we uh, wrap it up here? No, man. I just, I definitely just highly suggest this book. That's really the last yeah. thing I want to say. I think this is a great, great read for, especially for someone who's not, knowledgeable of comics at all if you're looking for a window into comics which in some ways we say that this is what we want to be i mean this is the perfect book for that man this is a great great starting point for anybody trying to get in um that's all i got matt what you got yeah i would say the uh that the uh requirements for entry are very minimal here you can jump right in as long as you have some working knowledge of who superman is who batman is and wonder woman i think you're gonna be fine um getting into this so overall great book really love rereading this revisiting it and uh look forward to doing some more in the future so uh ian that about wraps it up for this episode we want to thank everybody for listening uh as we mentioned at the top of the episode there are changes incoming so be sure to stay tuned probably next episode for a little bit more information on that uh, and we will, this, we're not going to be doing trade shows every single week. That's not how we're changing. We're going to be doing different things, but this is just what we've been doing, um, in the interim to kind of get it out of our system for a while. So uh, I know there's a couple books we were itching to get done. We three this, and, uh, I forget the other one was what we did. Or I did one with Willie. I don't remember. Oh, Eternals. I wasn't itching to do that one. <laughs> Willie was, but, um, yeah. So be, stay tuned for more incoming. Um, Ian, anything else to say before we take off? Or are you just no, getting plugs? Uh, uh, no, we just move on. Move, on. All right. move right on. Well, Ian, where can I find you online? Uh, you can follow me at Ian Sasquatch on Twitter and Bigfoot's Uncle Ian on the PlayStation Network. And I just want to say you can vote on our polls 
uh, you can follow at Superhero Poll on Twitter. And uh, they are the ones who support our ridiculous polls that we do here. So thank you. We do appreciate them. You can follow all our polls using the hashtag, hashtag SHPoll1919. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, if you're looking to pick up Kingdom Come by chance, uh, check out Comics The Gathering to come Washington. They definitely have it there. I know they do, and they'll hook you up. So uh, you can follow them on Twitter at Comics The Gathering, Facebook.com slash Comics The Gathering. It's spelled C-O-M-I-K-S. That's all I got. Matt, where can people find you? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Armchair Matt. And Ian, where can people follow the show? You can follow the show at Earth919Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can vote on our polls, as I mentioned earlier, using the hashtag SHPoll19. You can listen to the show on all podcatchers, including Podbean and iTunes. Any reviews help the show grow, and we greatly appreciate them. So thank you, and special shout-out to Mark Wade. Thanks for retweeting our thing and giving our show some pub. We appreciate it, man. You can follow me on ta- Twitter at Mark Wade. Can't wait to have you on, Mark. Yeah, come on. Come on. <laughs> that That's our argument. Come on. Come just, on. Just come on. Just do just it. Just come on. Just we'll talk about it. any book you want. Ian will pay no, you. seriously, though, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Mark, and thank you all for listening. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next Monday, whenever Have that is. Week. Yeah, bye. <laughs>